Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 65 of the podcast, and I have the privilege of sitting down with pastor, speaker, author, Sam Collier. Sam has a a greater story. It's an incredible story about hope, about the redemptive nature of God, about how to access God's plan in your life. He uh, had the really unique opportunity to find his birth parents after being adopted on the Steve Harvey show. He talks about that and so much more in our conversation today. I know you're going to love it. And uh, the best compliment you can give us if you do love it is to leave a rating or review wherever it is you listen to podcasts. It really helps people find us. So we appreciate that. Also, if you're ready to become part of the Reclamation community, uh, I want to invite you to text the word reclaim to 66866. Text the word reclaim to 66866. Come hang out with us every week. I send out an email and uh, try to get you connected to the practices to reclaim good balance for faith and life. It's also uh, a great way to make sure that you don't miss any episodes of the podcast. So I'm so appreciative of you and all that you do to help share the word about what God is doing through this platform. It is an honor and a privilege. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sam. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today. Uh, to be with author, speaker, pastor, Sam Collier. Sam, Collier. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast, even though I can't say your name right. I'm sorry. <laughs> young T. Can I call you Young T? <laughs> yeah, I could. Man, I'm yeah, so do it. Love what you're doing, everything you're about. What you're, I mean, you, you told me you pastored. I said, what? I mean, this is just, I know you from the audio, but this, you know, just learning the rest about your life has been awesome, man. So I'm, I'm excited to talk. Well, and and that's what we're here today is talk about life, specifically your life. You've got a, a brand new book coming out, A Greater Story, and I, I want to jump right in. Um, what an interesting season to be releasing a book. Yeah. Uh, civil unrest, COVID. I mean, this feels like it was designed for your book to be released. <laughs> Man, you know, it's, it's, it, first of all, I want to say you're so right. But what I will say in a, as an addendum to that is, you know, when it first happened, I was like, man, am I even going to be able to get this book out? Because, mm. I mean, it, it wrecked all of my plans. I, was like, <laughs> I mean, it was like, how do you put a book out? And then as we've been going on, it's like, man, you know, my story is the story of, like you said, I mean, a mess to a miracle that God is in the business of redeeming our lives, even in the midst of the chaos he has a way forward. And that is exactly the season that we find ourselves in asking God, how do we get from where we are to where you want us to be? And how, how can we see our way through the clutter? How has it uh, impacted you personally um, to kind of been to, to do this whole process of releasing a book in the midst of the clutter? Um, is it be, because let's be honest, you're also a, a national voice when it comes to um, how, how the Christian church responds in race, right? And and you've done a lot of stuff about that. And so I, I would imagine it feels like you've got a very big, uh, but also very crowded platform yeah. right now. H- how has God been um, leading you through these very cluttered and crowded times? Tony, can I just be honest? Please. Um, I go to counseling every two weeks. I don't know if you go to counseling at all. Uh, once a month, whether I need to or not. Okay. Seven, seven years. Seven years. Same, same here. I just go often because I like it, right? Yeah. Especially, 
And when the seasons get busier, I go more just so I can make sure I'm not going crazy. And, you know, and, the, and I, I think counseling even right now in COVID-19, especially at the height of it, it's so important for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, anxiety was through the roof. Depression is through the roof. Suicide attempts are through the roof and you need somebody to talk to. Anyway, I, for me, me and my wife just wanted to stay um, connected um, to, to our mental health, right? Just wanting to keep ourselves sharp. And so for me, as I was talking to my counselor in the middle of all of this, I said, you know, I don't know what to do. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I got this book, A Greater Story, and I've been planning this for two years, but yet there's so much civil unrest happening right now with what many people are calling the movement for black lives, right? Around the world. I don't, I feel like I need to speak. People are asking me to speak, but whenever I talk about race issues or at least historically, you know, they tend to divide. And so I'm like, I need everybody on my team right now in this season. <laughs> right. I got a book coming out. I got to pay that money back to the publisher. Right. I mean, you're like, I need everybody on my team. I don't want to talk about something that's divisive. Yeah. And, and she said to me, if you focus on what God wants you to focus on, he'll focus on what you need him to focus on. Right. Like she's just like, if you focus, if you, if you, Put the kingdom first. He'll handle the rest. And so she said, what is God asking you to do? And she said, I think that in this season of confusion and unrest, you have a unique perspective because of where you sit. And because of the experience that you've had being friends and kind of, you know, some would say family with uh, Martin Luther King's daughter for the last seven to eight years and the King family, MLK. Um, my perspective and being with Andy Stanley, my, my perspective around race has been very unique. And so she was saying, I think you need to lean in. Don't worry about your book. In fact, what she said is put your book at the feet of Jesus. Oh, come on. That's what she said. <laughs> and I said, stop preaching to me. You know, what I, mean? like, <laughs> no, I don't have time for that right now. I got to sell a book. <laughs> said, put your book at the put your book at the feet at the feet of Jesus and he'll take care of the rest. So. That's why I've been, bro. Uh, well, so, okay. So let's get super practical then. Cause I, I think there's probably somebody's listening who's not as far along in their walk as, as you are. Right. And you've pastored and you've directed youth choirs and you've, you know, you've done a lot of things for the kingdom. What does someone do to get started to take their biggest concern or worry in their life and put it at the foot of Jesus? Wow. You know, um, the concept, and you know this because you're a pastor, the concept of connecting with the intangible mm. is very difficult for people, right? Like yeah. the the biggest cry of the atheist is, yeah, but I can't see it. I can't prove it. I can't touch it. And so I, if I can't touch it, it's not real, right? And I always bring up the idea of, you know, we can't see the wind doesn't mean it's not blowing. Sure. We can't see air doesn't mean we can't, you are not breathing. And so it's, it's, it's the idea when we talk about laying our problems at the feet of Jesus, it is the idea of believing and connecting to that, which is not tangible, but is alive, which is our spirits. Mm. And 
you know, I, I think if you're a Christian out there, um, you you and you've done a little bit of worship or you've lifted your hands to Jesus or you've sung a song or you, maybe you've prayed, you can feel something special when it happens. And there's a presence that shows up. There's a connection that shows up like never before when you come from within. And it is in that place that you have to spend time in and really releasing that worry and that burden through your spirit. It's really the intangible pieces of you connecting to the intangible pieces of God, right? I mean, which is, and it's, it's, it's deep, but it does require a sense of, um, a sense of going deep within yourself and allowing yourself to be led and to be connected to something that is beyond you. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I, I felt like I was in Oprah land for a minute. No, I liked it though. I was, I'm here for it. Well, I like I like the idea that the intangible part of you has to connect with the intangible part of God, and I think it I think it reinforces this idea that we've got natural tendencies and we've got supernatural tendencies. Ooh, come on, Tony. Well, so uh, I did. I I do have a specific question for you. In, in the book, you talk about when you give your life over to Christ. And your dad um, said, it's it's on you now. Wow. I was wondering if you could share that story and then share about the moment after the story when you gave your life to Christ with no preacher, no music. I, I mean, nothing, not, you in a room, basically. Maybe, maybe you could talk about the, uh, well, it's just share part of that, whatever you want to share part of that. Tony, this moment for me was probably the most defining moment in my life. There are many defining moments for me, but this one was was the biggest. It, it, it was the fork in the road, I think, experience where I feel like God, one, it was the first time I ever heard of God tangibly. So that's one. I just want to say that. Um, was it an audible voice? To me, to me, it was. Um, you know, many people have different ways of describing it. And, you know, honestly, you know, people um, define audible different, right? It's like some people are like, oh, he came out of the wall. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was like a boy. You know, I think for me, it was very loud. I mean, and it was very loud in my head, but then also in my heart. I mean, you, I don't know how God speaks to you, Tony, but me, I feel it and hear it in every part of my body. It's in my ears, in my eyes, it's in my brain, it's in my, I get chill. I mean, there's just the moment where it comes accompanied with all these different things. And you know, it's not you speaking because you're not that good, right? I mean, (laughs) amen. And it's a very foreign thought. It comes out of nowhere and you're like, whoa, like where did that? Um, I had just unveiled a secret life that I was living. Yeah. And um, I got exposed to porn in third grade and this thing grew um, up really up until 11th grade. And when this thing happened and, you know, I was messing with girls and I'll be honest, it can, I don't know how raw we can be on the show. Uh, we can be super raw. No problem. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to curse. I promise. Uh, uh, but what I will say is, you know, I um you know, I, I was always afraid to have sex. I'm going to be honest. When I was younger, I was afraid to have sex because my dad was crazy. He was a pastor, but and my adopted dad, people listening, I'm, I was adopted. The stories about adoptions and my thing, which we'll get into later. But 
um, my dad that adopted us, I mean, he was he was a wild man. He's from the country. And so he, I mean, he was just very honest and blunt and loud. He always would tell me, you don't get somebody pregnant and that, you know, and so the right. <laughs> pregnancy became like the thing for me, as opposed to doing it for Jesus, it was don't get anybody pregnant, right? It was, right. <laughs> so I'm like, how many ways can I play without getting anybody pregnant? Right. I mean, it's mm. a, so I was always afraid to have sex. So I would like do everything but right. Um, and, and just in high, high school. And honestly, and I write about this in the book. Honestly, it was no I wasn't doing anything worse than what hip hop was telling me to do. Sure. It's just who we it's who it's who we were. I mean, I grew up on hip hop. And when you listen to the song, I don't know how many people there are hip hop fans. I don't know how many people really listen to what they're saying in the song. <laughs> like. If you actually read the lyrics, like, like, and 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 I don't know who I told this to, but there was there was a there was a time in in black culture where between the civil rights era and the rise and the rise of hip hop, the baton passed, and it's and it's and it shifted from being um, the civil rights leaders and the preachers of our day being the leaders to celebrities. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember that, but it was like all of a sudden, I don't care what Jesse Jackson is saying. I want to hear what LeBron is saying. Right? I mean, it was just like yeah. overnight. And, and I don't know if that was for the world. I know it was specific to the black context. And so our leaders were our musicians. It was our rappers. It was this. And they were telling us to go hit on girls. They were telling us, to go see how many you can sleep with. They were telling us to go, you know. And so that's what I was doing. And, and so anyway, living this double life and nobody knew. In 11th grade, it comes to a head. I get suspended from school for 30 days. Man, P.S., when I read that, I thought, that's a really harsh punishment. <laughs> I thought it was a little too much. I was like, 30 days? That's And I mean, you were in an art school. So that I mean, that feels like a lot. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? Like, Please. I was black. The principal was white. And... <laughs> It was a it was a predominantly white school. So sure, yeah. It was a little bit of like we need to make some an example out of. I don't think that she was racially profiled. It may be a, a little, bit, but I think it was more of like, hey, let's make a statement. Like, I was in the army. We call that firing for effect. One hundred percent. They fired for effect. Ooh, Tony. Yeah, Tony. Who are? Can, listen, after this podcast is over, I'm giving you my double. We need to get on the phone. We need to be like friends. Who Dude, are you, man? Like, don't tease me with a good time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I got to share this episode. This is incredible. Oh, you're incredible. Um, but firing for effect, 100%. And mm. so that's what that's what she did. She was like, we're going to set a precedent. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was hard, man. It was harsh. It was hard. And... I call those first three days of suspension, the resurrection, the death, burial, resurrection and um, my dad sat me down and, you know, here's what I thought. I thought my life's over. I thought I'm never going outside again. I mean, I thought like, I mean, like I was going to have my own little you know, COVID-19, right? It was just going to be me. <laughs> before it was cool. You were going to have COVID-19 before it was cool, right? Before it was cool. And, you know, because that's because my dad, when he would, when we would do something hard, mom and dad, they would punish, you know? It wasn't like, and it wasn't abusive. It was, 
appropriate. It was, hey, it was strict, uh, right? They weren't playing games. No, like you, because especially being black in America, you need to act right. Like you need. And um, so that's what I was expecting. And my dad just sat me down and said, we throw up our hands like you're 16. Two years away from 18 grown. At this point, it's on you. We've taught you everything that we could teach you. You know right from wrong, which he was right. Right. Um, you know what to do. You know what not to do. And he said to me, he brought the pregnancy thing. You get somebody pregnant, you got to take care of them. Right. You end up in jail, you got to get yourself out. You know, I mean, it. it that's what he, you want to sell drugs. That's what you, and I wasn't selling drugs, but he was just, if this is the life you want to live, live it. But it's on you now. I don't know what it was about that moment, Tony, but there was something about him giving me the keys back to my life mm-hmm. that created the context for responsibility. I It came on me. It was like, wait a minute, it's on me now. Well, I guess I have to start making good decisions. I can't just depend on my parents refereeing me all the time. I have to now referee myself. So what do I do? And I already have seen the content. And God spoke to me. Boom. And he, he said to me that night, all right, you got to choose. You got to choose the dreams I have for you or the desires that you have for you. And I gave him my life, my life to Christ that night just I, because, because he was right. I did know right from wrong. My parents exposed me to the message of the gospel. I knew how to get to Jesus, which maybe that's even in, in some encouragement out there for some parents of going like, Maybe your kid isn't fully following Jesus, um, but maybe you could at least make sure they know how to get to him when they need him. Mm, yeah. And and I did. My parents, I knew. I knew what to say. I knew what to do. I knew how to pray. I just wasn't living for Jesus. And that's what I did. I, when, the, when the decision came, I said, okay, well, God, I give you my life. Lifted my hands and said the prayer. I knew the prayer. I mean, that's just a <laughs> Well, I, I, I mean, you do you do go in, into great detail in the book, appropriately so, about about growing up in the church and that your dad was pastoring twenty people. So you had been, I mean, like, um, listen, I'm I'm sitting here reading your story and I'm wondering about my kids. What'd you say? I said I'm reading your story and I'm wondering about my kids. You know, because because they lived that PK life, right? And let <laughs> sidebar, just make sure you have a good kids program. Mm. Or high school, just or or connect. That, if, if there's anything I can give you, to just take that because we're doing we're doing orange and they're killing it. And so I we've got the best family ministry director ever. She's and and more importantly, there are men in my life who are discipling my boys. Yeah, and and my daughter will get there too as she gets a little bit older. So I I do have one practical question. You give your life to Christ. You hear the audible voice of God after this strenuous kind of tenuous moment in your family, do you just walk back downstairs and say, Hey guys, I found Jesus. How does that conversation go? <laughs> you know, they didn't, I never told them. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but because my parents were the type of parent, like here's, and, and, and Tony, you probably like, they were at their end a little, I think yeah. like, I mean, it really was a, I'm throwing my hands up kind of moment. They loved me, but it was like, brother, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Like we, we, and, and so it was, there was this, there was this really loud disappointment (laughs) 
like the 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 sound of disappointment was in the air, <laughs> and you could just feel it. It was you could cut it with a knife. They and you know when when people get to the point, especially parents, where they're like, "I don't care what you do." Hmm. That's scary. Oh, go out of the house! Like go run away! Like uh, it was just kind of like, <laughs> and so they were like, "Okay, like." Do do whatever. You, I mean, obviously, I think if I started, you know, going super crazy and it was harming someone in the house, they would be like, okay. But it was kind of like, do you like and and um, you could tell it was a moment where they were saying, all right, let's see what you do. And so I didn't tell them. And I had a mentor at the time, which I talked about, Freddie Hendricks, who um, really, you know, and Orange. Speaking of Orange, they often talk about having that, you know, that third person outside of your family. That can be, a, you know, like you say, somebody mentoring your boys, an outside voice from the family that kind of reinforces some of the same ideas. And Freddie was that for me. And uh, I went with him. And um, he, I mean, every day I was out of school, he took me to, to school with him to another school where he was training um, theater kids and let me participate. And they were like, why aren't you in school? You know, it was just like, <laughs> uh, let's just get back to practice. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And um and so eventually after suspension was over and I started writing more and then I started going to other churches more, they could tell like, wait a minute, like he's getting serious about this Jesus thing. Yeah. And in a year, I was a totally different person. I mean, it was night and day. Like I went from being the kid because I left the school I was at and went to another school for my senior year, I, I went from being the kid that was getting suspended and mess and living, you know, messing with girls to little Jesus at, you know, praying for people in the parking lot. I mean, it was just like a night and day thing. So, so then uh, your your story kind of advances, and you get a lot of different experiences, and uh, Freddie's a huge help in that. But there's one day um, where your dad says some words to you that changes your life forever and, and kind of the, one of the bigger moments of the book of, of this idea that you should go find your, your mom. Right. And uh, first of all, I love your dad's rule about no talking during football that resonates at a very deep level for me. Uh, Cause the Cincinnati Bengals are often the uh, whew, man, the bane of my existence and the hope. So uh, big Bengals fans here in Ohio. Well, I am, I don't think anyone else is, but um so uh, h- how does that h- how does that strike you in the moment? I, I think you were 24 at the time uh, as you're uh, you're getting ready to set out on a journey to go find the uh, your your birth mom, and uh, you would later find out that the Lord told him to to go through Steve Harvey. Can you kind of yeah. fill in all the details on that poor recreation of your story I just did? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, man. You know. Um, so the punchline for the book is, and there's so much more, I think, that we're leaving out just for the listener. Like we're, we're giving you enough to have an understanding of why you should read it. But yeah, when we feel that when you read the detail, I mean, it gets, it's a ton well, of research. It's a ton of everything. And, and, and to that point, you do such a good job of engaging the reader with their own story in the process. There's reflection questions at the end of it. This is not just a book about Sam's life. Like just to be clear, it, I mean, which is super entertaining, but don't just read this for entertaining. 
uh, read this for transformation, right? Like, you know, this, the God dream chapter is one of my favorite and, you know, just, you really got to dive into some of that. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. I, I, your, your people sent me a, a copy ahead of time and I, I got all sorts of notes in it. So, well, and I'll say this, man, it was, it, you know, we tried to be unselfish in the process. We, I didn't want it to, I, I think we've all been there where you read a biography and you're like, uh, you know, that, great for you, Jay-Z, right? I mean, right, right. Right. <laughs> I didn't, I just didn't want that to happen. I'm like, if we're going to, if we're going to take up people's time, yeah, I want them I wanted them to be able to get something from this that truly helps them. And that's kind of what we are. So, so anyway, the punchline to the book is me, me reuniting with my biological family for the first time ever in life after 25 years on the Steve Harvey show. So that with that being said, my dad is such a big, and we're talking about my adoptive dad, such a big part of the story. Like, you all, if my dad wasn't 84, I would have written it from his perspective. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so such a part of this. He adopted us. He raised, I mean, obviously my mom as well, but right. uh, you know, he's kind of the, the pie, piper in this and he's going, you know, he went, you know, around age 24, Hey, it's time for y'all to go figure out where you came from. Hmm. And it's in the middle of football while we're watching football with, you know, Falcons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where nope, nobody's perfect, Sam. It's fine. <laughs> We're watching the Falcons. I'm sorry. And he, uh, you know, he breaks the rule that he said. It's only one rule. You don't talk during football, which, you know, mm. and he breaks the rule and he says it's time. And his number one reason is, well, you could grow up one day and marry your cousin and you never know it. And I said, what? What? I mean, out of all the read, I really expected something much deeper than that. I, mean, that was <laughs> I expected like, you know, you can't go forward without going back or something, you know, yeah. like. <laughs> right. Like, I'm just going to say how he said it. So just so you understand, well, well, you could, he was serious. You can grow up one day and marry your cousin and you never know. It. I said, no, okay, you need to calm. I'm not married to somebody with my nose. I promise. He's just like, you could. And uh, he convinces my sister to write in. And a year goes by, they called us and they say, we think we can help you find your family. Do you want to do it? They flew us up. Me, my twin sister, my adopted dad, my adopted mom. They say, we've hired a private detective. We couldn't find anybody, but we want to bring you on the show to make a plea that maybe they would show up. Steve Harvey introduces us. We go to commercial. Earth, Wind, and Fire comes on during the commercial break. And Steve is running around on set being Steve Harvey, which people always ask me, what was it like to meet Steve Harvey? I'm like, it was whatever you think he is, double it. Okay, that's what. (laughs) And so the Earth, Wind, and Fire music cuts off. We come back and he jumps right back into character. And he says, hey, I know I told you we didn't find your family. But that's not the case. Your mother is here. Eleanor, come on out. And our biological mother walks out and I meet her for the first time on national television. And and then he says, and your siblings. I mean, it it was just, it was. Uh, I watched the clip. You're a mess, dude. (laughs) I I mean, like, rightfully so. Rightfully. I kind of felt like Steve set you up there. There are a couple of moments here where I felt like you needed someone to protect you a little bit better. That school and Steve Harvey, I think both kind of gave you the business. I, it makes for a good story, but I'm like, man, that's that's not fair. 
not terrible. They, they, I mean, jacked me up on national television. And, and there was a moment where, can we talk about, the God yeah. voice came back to me mm. on set because I was like, I don't know what to do. So if you see the clip, which you can Google it, you can watch it. Um, Sam Collier, Steve Harvey, it'll come up. When you watch the clip, um, I just put my head down and I'm kind of stuck. And people think I'm crying, but I'm actually in shock. Yeah. Because I've got so many emotions. I'm like, should I cry? Should I be happy? Should I be sad? Should I be angry? Should I be? And I'm emotional. So I'm just like, ah. Um, and the, I hear the audible voice of God again. He says, snap out of it. You're on national television. <laughs> 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 and I snapped out of it and, uh, you know, I embraced my mom. So that's the story, bro. So one of the things um, is is that uh, God was writing your story long before that moment ever started. Mm. And uh, and you're very clear about that in, in the book and, and very clear about that. And um, just, you know, in our theology, that's a belief that we that we have as Christians, that God's been writing our stories. What happens um, in the kingdom of God in, from your perspective when when we get intentional about handing our story over to God and listening? Wow. Um, I think he takes us on a journey. And, yeah. Well, ultimately, I think it leads us to purpose. Um, I often say, you know, you want to know the purpose of something you ask the maker of it and i think for many of us we search for purpose um but we very seldom um ask the maker of us who obviously would know the purpose for us because he made us and i think that ultimately it does that it leads us to our unique contribution to this life, which if we're Christians, we know the ultimate purpose is to spread the gospel of the kingdom and make disciples. That's the ultimate purpose. Amen. Yeah. Now, now God has given us all a unique way to do that. And that is when it starts to drill down a little bit more into the specific purposes that he has for our life, which is really, he's just given us all different mechanisms and, and gifts and strategies to fulfill the great commission. That's what it's really all about. And to make the world better, fulfill the great commission, make the world better. And, and so I think ultimately leads us there, but the process to getting there, and this is where we all mess up, right? And this is where it all gets difficult is a stripping of our desires and our dreams for his. And depending on how you respond <laughs> to that, <laughs> Will determine whether it's a rocky road, right, or it's a road, you know, a more stable road. I mean, it, it, everybody reacts differently to God stripping them. Some people are so they're holding on to their dreams so much, it's like, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. and then God really has to get a little bit more aggressive with you, right? He strips us of our behaviors. He strips us of our sins. He and, and again, we'll be sinning for the rest of our life in some sure. way. But, you know, the destructive one, I mean, you know, he strips us of these negative things that would get in the way of us doing that. And depending on how hard of a grip we have on them, um, we'll determine you know, what that process is like. And so I would just say, you know, it, it, took, it takes some people hitting rock bottom 
even after they're saved, for God to get their attention and to get their life. It while others others it may take a couple you know hard moments and they're in there. So it's just I would just encourage everybody out there to to let God take over, and if you let Him, um, it'll one lead you to purpose, but it'll lead you to a better life. So one of the things you're super intentional about in the book is this idea of environment. And um, you, you do a great job of painting the picture from the barbershop to the churches to uh, to traveling around with the King family and doing that kind of work. H- how are we as Christians supposed to use our environment to build the kingdom message? Wow. You know, I talk often talk about leadership and the idea that all of us, you know, we're leaders. God has given us, and all, uh, and we know this, and Tony, you would probably agree, leadership is influence. Amen. So much more, but at the it core, starts there, right? Yeah. It, it's influence, and all of us have influence. And, you know, when we were talking about this race conversation, you know, I would often spend a lot of time with my white brothers and sisters, and they would say, well, I don't have anything to contribute. I only have a 50 followers on Instagram, right? And I'm like, well, those 50, (laughs) they're so important. You never know what one man can spark in another man that sparks man. And you have influence, which all of us do because we have environments, because we know people. We're leaders and we're, we're stewarding our space. And so I just think, you know, to answer the question more, I guess, powerfully, I mean, it, all of us should be leveraging everything we have for the sake of the gospel and every ounce of influence that we have. And what, and what the Bible says, what scriptures say is that if we are faithful over our little, he'll actually multiply. So if, if, if we start to leverage our environment, right, the little environments that we have for the kingdom, the scriptures say he'll enlarge it. Mm. Um, because we took right uh, intention, because we, we became intentional about the little little he gave us, he made much of it. He we obviously hear the parable of the talents, where you know he demonizes the one man because he didn't do anything because he thought he didn't have enough. Um, he actually took it away, and so I would just encourage all of us to be maximizing the space that we have um, for the kingdom for for a couple reasons. One, because it's our purpose. But two, because it'll get bigger. And I just believe God wants more for all of us. I think he wants more. Mm. For all of us. And more is can be defined in so many different ways. And it is relative to where you are in your environments and to what you're going through. But make no mistake about it, whether you are in the slums of Kenya or the palace of you know Dubai, God wants you to have more. He, he has wired us to have more but not just to have more, but to make the world better. That's what it's all about. He increases our territory. Um, He increases our finances. He increases our influence so that we can ultimately increase the mark of the kingdom on the earth as we await his great return. You got me preaching. (laughs) Dude, let's pass the offering plate. I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm I'm here for all of it. And, And what I love about that perspective is that you don't have to have um, a Steve Harvey moment for that, right? You don't have to have, you don't have to be adopted. You don't have to have, you, you know, all of the twists and turns that, that, that sometimes we 
um, we, we think that, oh man, that's not my story, but, but God, you know, and what the purpose of your book is God wants to use your story for a greater story. And I, I, I love, I love that. I love that so much. And, um, I, I am curious a year from now, uh, what are we celebrating that God did with this book? <laughs> Man, I, I, I think, you know, we can't control, I can't control whether it makes it on a New York Times bestseller. I can't control whether it makes it on the Wall Street. I can't control whether it hit, hits number one on Amazon, even though I would love for all of those things to happen. Um, but what I do think I can control is the exposure of this message Mm. with many people as possible. And I would love for it to be millions. I would love for people all around the globe to have bought the book, not to gain revenue, but to be exposed to the story. I think I would love to celebrate uh, thousands and thousands, if not millions of minds and spirits being illuminated with the idea that there is purpose in my life and for my life and that I don't have to settle for what's in front of me, but God, again, we, he has more. And the story that I'm living in right now can be greater if I connect it to God. God is just, God is not, I'll say, God is not a God that wants our lives just to be boring. Yeah. He's just not that way. He doesn't want us sitting around just working the nine to five and ho- and waking up. He's just not. And, and Tony, I think you know, he just he's not that way. He's adventurous. He has more. He gives us vision. He wants to maximize. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, we see God encouraging us to to build and to do this and to, and to get out there. I mean, the whole life of the apostles were them traveling to and fro. Right. I mean, the last thing Jesus tells us before he ascends for the last time is go. Go, go. And so there's this, there's this, there's this passion, there's this action, there's this momentum, there's this movement that the gospel compels us to have. And so there's always more. There's always there is a greater story for all of us. And that should give us hope. It should wake, it should make us wake up in the morning and be excited that God can do things like. It, it, right, you get you're smiling at me, Tony, because I'm I'm like I'm all I love it, dude. I love it. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> it's like God wants to take that church you have, Tony. He wants to blow it up. I mean, that's just Amen. who He is. Like yeah. He wants to reach as many people as possible. And if anyone, and I love how Andy said, if anyone doesn't believe that, I think they've heard the wrong version of the gospel. Come on, they've that's right. The wrong version. And I, last story, and I'm done. Because people like to make it about poverty. Oh, well, no. Is it? I got a friend who grew up in the worst parts of Nairobi. The outskirts. I mean, when you think about extreme poverty, you think about they don't have water, electricity. He lives, he was grew up in a hut, mm. literally a hut. They had to walk miles to get water, carry it over their head. You know, the commercials that come on MTV and BET and VH1 and Channel 5 at 2 a.m. When we're like looking at it's like, oh, my God, these kids are walking back and forth. Like that's extreme poverty. That's the lowest you can go, obviously, outside of trafficking and all the other things. And we like to say we like to measure the gospel 
to those stories. And we like to say, well, God doesn't have one because what about the person here? And what I want to tell you is this. I had a chance to spend some time with my friend out there who has one of the largest nonprofits right now in Nairobi. Hmm. And I asked him, I said, man, you know, this is, I say the same thing I said to you. How did this happen? Like, do you believe God? Like what? He said, Sam, God has more for all of us. Doesn't matter where you grow up. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If you will connect your life to Jesus, he will, he will do great exploits. God, I mean, he's the maker of the elements. He can control. You don't think he can deliver you from poverty? You don't think he can take dreams that you have and multiply them and bring resources from all around the world? You don't think he can do that? He said to me this. He said, I have eight, bro- I have eight brothers and sisters. I said, what's the difference between you and them? He said, they made a decision that that was it for them. Yeah. He said, and I decided there was more. And I gave my life to Christ. And now he's got a staff of 200 in Kenya. And he's saving victims um, of, of poverty and also of HIV and AIDS. Um, but he's, he's, God's done more. He flies back. So your, 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 your situation and your circumstance, um, they don't have to be the limitation. There's a greater story. That's beautiful. And uh, I know my, my listeners are going to want to um, connect with you. I know they're going to want to get up a copy of the book. Uh, where is the best place for them to start to learn more about you and what God's doing in and through your ministry? Depending on when this episode comes out, um, if it comes out before the book drops on August 4th. It will. Okay. Go to bakerbookhouse.com, I believe, or just Google Baker Bookhouse. Um, Baker is the publisher, but they also have their own bookstore and we're giving people 40% off. Oh, good to know. We'll link to that in the show notes for sure. Before the episode, I mean, before the book drops. Aside from that, you can pick it up on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever you get books at. Um, it will be available digitally. If you're in a, another country, you can order the ebook on Amazon, which is phenomenal, which is great. Audiobook, you can get the audiobook as well on Amazon. So, Did you read it yourself? I did. It was the hardest thing. Oh, I bet it was. I have... People... And can I be honest? I underestimated yeah. the audio book. Yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, I'm just going there and read. After three chapters, I said, I, I, I almost painted. <laughs> just, and, and, and you're a drama guy. I mean, like you've done some acting. Like oh, you're, I, you're a spoken word guy. Like this is your deal. You know what it's like, Tony? It's like seven hours of one sermon nonstop. I'm out. <laughs> 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 That's what it feels like because you're like you're reading it. You're like, and on October 39, you went this way, and we and it for seven hours. Oh man, you're just going and going, and so I did read it. It was a labor of love, so I tried to put as much energy and passion into it as I, as possible. But I'd love for you to buy the book if you're looking for greater. And then, uh, hey, listen, I, I want to put a plug in to follow uh, Sam on Instagram. Him and his wife, Tony, they do incredible things. They're madly in love, which I just so appreciate the way you guys lift up marriage ministry and all the things that you guys are doing. And so um, follow him on Instagram. It's worth it. It's it's a good follow. And, and you've you got a tremendous voice and platform, which I really appreciate. Thank you, bro. Listen, y'all keep listening to Tony. <laughs> <laughs> East 
I'm doing his cell phone number when we get off so I can text him. We can hang out next time I'm in Ohio. Oh, uh, dude. Love, anytime. I, I don't know why I didn't know you before, but I, I'm just glad that I met you. Uh, the, the pleasure is mine. Now, I, I do have one question left. It's the last question we always love to ask people. It's an advice question uh, to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, but I get to pick the time. So, right. uh, and I know your story pretty well. And so I want to take you um, to when you first started playing uh, that keyboard, that Triton keyboard <laughs> in your dad's 20 person church. If you could go back there and talk to that young man, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself? I would say, hmm, wow, you got me on that one. I would probably say to that young man, greater is coming. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like, but you don't have to wait to grab a hold of it. You can get it right now. That's what I would say. Amen. Amen. Sam, thank you for being so generous today with your time and uh, for, for spending the time here and being so vulnerable. I really do appreciate it. Love you, man. I absolutely had so much fun talking to Sam. What a great guy, an incredible leader. He's got a voice that I think so many of us need to be listened to. So do me a favor, uh, pre-order his book, bakerbookhouse.com. Bakerbookhouse.com is where you can order Sam's book. And, uh, and lean in to your greater story, what that means, what it looks like. I know that uh, you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, do me a favor, share this episode with someone who has maybe never listened before. Share this episode with a friend who needs to lean into their story. Share this episode on your social media channels. And let's get the word out about Sam's story and about what God is doing through the Reclamation Podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't done it yet, text the word reclaim to 66866. I look forward to getting back with you next week as we continue to lean in to good practices for faith and life.